Welcome to The Yoga Voice, a podcast by City Yoga, School of Yoga and Health. Our guests discuss how the contemporary practice of this ancient art transforms the lives of individuals and communities in the Midwest and beyond. City Yoga has been a center for the practice of yoga and yoga teacher training since opening in 2002. Join us as we explore how yoga inspires and transforms. Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice, and today I have in the studio a yoga teacher, a musician, an artist. She's a self-described lifelong learner, Jamie Anderson. And what an awesome conversation we have for you today. She's been in the yoga world for quite some time, and she's just a really bright spirit to talk to and her enthusiasm her enthusiasm just shines out and we just had this great conversation and for her first visit here on the show i'm sure it won't be her last and as a special treat because she loves sound and music and creating experiences at the end of the podcast she plays some plays some wonderful music for you do a little singing so really um, don't miss that. It'll be coming up at the end of the podcast with nice sounds from Jamie Anderson. And so enjoy our conversation. We really just looked at how yoga is evolving and how Jamie's philosophy around yoga and spirituality shows up in the classes that she teaches. She teaches about 10 or 12 classes a week. You can find her schedule in the program notes and description. You can find her on Facebook, Instagram. Um, she's got her own website. So we'll post all that stuff for you. So do sit back and enjoy. Dave Sims here at the Yoga Voice. Uh, welcome to all our listeners and welcome to Jamie Anderson. Hello. Hi, <laughs> Good to be here. It's awesome to have you in the studio today. So every everybody out there listening is in for a treat. So we'll just dig, jump right in with the typical question I like to throw out there of what's inspiring you about yoga and all its mystery today. I think today, most especially kind of in the time that we're in, is the idea of people moving past um, lineage-based yoga and moving more into exploring uh, multiple things. And part of this, I think, is just a product of the fact that the internet exists and we have all these sources now available to us that we didn't used to have. You used to have to like seek out a teacher, like seek out a specific text that might be hard to find. And maybe you had to translate it and all these other things. And we're living in a time where there's so much information available that we can kind of find what about yoga works for us as individuals. We can take, I'm kind of, I've always joked that I'm a all-you-can-eat spiritual buffet kind of person. Yeah, you know, right. take a little bit of this, didn't really care for that, so I'll leave that for somebody else. So I want seconds on this, you know, kind of uh, taste a little bit of everything and see what sticks. Um, I have quite an appetite for that. So it's nice to have so much information available to us. Um, you can go to almost any studio, almost anywhere in the world now and find so many varieties of yoga. I mean, yeah. you know, say what you want to about the different types. You know, we've got goat yoga, beer yoga, bunny rabbit yoga. We've got like just about everything. So, I mean, there's some way 
uh, to spark somebody's interest. And, you know, I may or may not choose to participate in some of those things, but there's something nice about how everything is kind of welcomed. Mm -hmm. And I also really appreciate with that diversity of available information and paths in yoga available to us that um, we're moving away from maybe being too dedicated to one particular path or dedicated to one particular teacher or person um, and finding that a lot of different paths have something unique to offer. Right. So yeah. I think just the wide variety of information and the ability to devour it easily and accessibly, I yeah. think is what's my favorite thing about yoga right <laughs> right now today. <laughs> uh, well, that's a great, great response. And, that, and I think we're a lot alike in the sense we're both seekers and yes. we were talking about being voracious readers. And, and so for me, like I felt a little conflict a little conflicted early on in my yoga when i people like find a teacher and mm -hmm. find a path and like you know find something that resonates and just dig a deep well and yeah. i thought okay that makes sense under the theory like okay if you're trying to find water mm -hmm. if you dig a bunch of shallow wells odds are if you won't strike water right. unless you stay in one <laughs> place and go deep and over time though for me yoga as a whole has become the well i'm digging yes into. not yes. not like this one style or lineage mm -hmm. or because i think for me i, I try to avoid dogma and Very much like so. anything we can get caught up in teachers and traditions and and the uh you know, the teachings are all very similar. Yes. Right. So, so I don't know. I'm, I'm that's that's kind of where I'm at today. And and what you said too, like there's a movement away from some of that lineage based stuff. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I do want to honor that. Just like some people are, like cut out to be in the military. Some yes. people are cut out to be a baker. Some people are cut out to follow a lineage and go deep down that one arrow path. And I agree. Right. So, but I know what you're saying. And I talk to more and more people that are kind of like that mindset of like, um, and it's, and it's different. What you're talking about, I feel is different than just like trying this, trying that, trying this, like trying being that. a dabbler, right? Being yeah. a dabbler. Like, oh, that, <laughs> like, oh, that got too hard. I'm going to try this looks easier. You know, mm -hmm. it's not about that. It's like, I'm seeking. I love this. I love, I want more. Yeah. I'm going to seek more. I'm going to, um, you're creating this tapestry that yeah. you described of like, of, you know, this, because yoga is so much more than asana, right? Very much. That's <clears> a so, huge thing for me lately. I've been really kind of on that I, without, I'm trying not to sound preachy about it because I am a teacher who teaches asana practice, you know, 10, 12 times a week. Um, and I don't want to dismiss the importance of that. But for me, the asana, the physical postures is always a side dish. Yeah. You know, the meat or if, you know, if you're vegan or vegetarian, the main dish, if you will, <laughs> the plant-based main dish is the philosophy and the lifestyle. Um, and so what I've been trying to do is have the postural practice that I'm teaching each week in classes be accessible for all bodies, for one thing. So we're not necessarily trying to go upside down or arm balance. And there's nothing wrong with those things at all. I'm not dismissing those as important practices. I can see the value in it. But I think my main thing is how can I get your body 
to teach something to your mind or teach something to your heart. So if we're maybe practicing uh, letting go or opening the heart or getting into yamas and niyamas, some of the philosophical pieces, I think, well, what does that feel like in the body? What does it feel like in the body to um, be still and observe motion? So maybe we lie in shavasana or we sit upright and we still the very core of our being and we watch the movements of breath. We mm -hmm. watch the movements of um, thought. We watch the movements of sensation. And so that's a way of embodying these philosophical practices or meditative practices. And I think, you know, we were kind of talking about this like sort of pluralistic stepping away from lineage-based yoga. I, too, honor that there are some lineages that have been going on for long periods of time. And, you know, and I think even um, we're finding in the modern era that even people we assumed were enlightened still have some human tendencies. And that's right. been somewhat problematic. <laughs> um, but it's also, I feel like all of us have our um, challenges and our struggles. And... You know, I certainly never want anybody to think that I'm, you know, a saint or something like that. You know, right, like right. like we all kind of have, you know, I think sometimes in the seat of the teacher, we um, receive a kind of reverence from our students sometimes that may or may not be warranted. I try to live up to the, the good person that the students think that I am. You know, it's like they, people say, I wish I wish I was as good a person as my dog thinks I am. Like, I uh -huh. wish I was as good a person as my students think I am. And I think in some ways I aim for that. But I also have my flaws. And I think one of the things that makes students feel comfortable in my classes is um, that I am rather vulnerable. Mm -hmm. There are times when, you know, I don't get into details. It's not all about me and all of what's going on in my life. But uh, when I'm wrestling with something in my mind or in my heart, uh, I try to bring that struggle into very general terms that other people can relate to. Like, have you ever had, you know, the same lesson that was taught to you 25 times and you're just kind of like, dude, I'm so done with this lesson. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm really ready to move on now. And, you know, people can relate to that because they've had those repetitive samskaras uh, in their lives too, those patterns. And let me guess, they show up in relationships? Yep. Uh, employment and finances money <laughs> habits you know food you know whatever it is yeah, um yeah. yeah and and everybody can relate to that everybody's had some experience with that whether they're in it right now or they're not mm -hmm. um i just recently became a full-time yoga teacher yes. and i feel like woohoo pat on the back i just took a giant pay cut you know it's like this yeah. kind of funny version of success you know because i kind of left this um rather lucrative career as a hairdresser uh, to be a yoga teacher full time, which is um, right now at the very beginning of my teaching career, it's a lot less money, <laughs> and it may, it may always be. I don't know, but no. But the financial rewards are super outweighed, I think, by I have all of this time now. I mean, all of the time that I have, I am spending. I'm reading. I'm studying. I'm preparing lessons to teach to other people, which means I'm practicing all the time. Mm -hmm. So my practice has taken off um, in a really big way since I started teaching full time. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been planning 10 or 12 classes a week for a few years now. Yeah. Um, but now that's all I'm doing. I'm not planning 10 or 12 classes a week and working, you know, doing something else. Um, so I have time to integrate some of that stuff and um, to really more experientially understand what it is that I'm reading. And um, also 
I, I just was posting something, uh, read, read something from Ram Das, who says that, you know, at first you just have these practices like meditation or whatever your practice is. And then, you know, you kind of do your life. You like, go to work and you kind of do whatever your thing is. Yeah. And eventually that is your practice. And every ounce of your life, like every single experience of your life is then part of your practice. And I'm kind of, I feel like I'm more in that space now, mm -hmm. you know, where um, everything feels like an opportunity to employ some of this philosophy that I'm learning. <laughs> right. Living it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really, really living the teachings. I mean, and again, this is kind of why asana or postural practice has always been secondary to me. Did you read Mark Singleton's book, um, oh. Yoga Body? I feel like I... You probably I've, did. I haven't. I don't, think, I don't think I read it cover to cover, but I. It's. I'm, it was really controversial because he kind of talked about how, what he calls modern postural yoga, mm -hmm. is very different from the ancient sciences of yoga, which were like basically the science of religion and all these philosophical practices. And it was really controversial. Like a lot of people got mad when they read it. And I have to admit, I when I first started reading it, I was kind of mad. Like, you mean these. You know, posture practices have more to do with like 1800s German and Swedish gymnastics than with anything Indian. Like, my life is a sham. Like, uh, oh my God, it's over, yeah. you know? And well, at, at first, it was, well. yeah, it was right, hard right. for me to think about that, even just to consider it. And by the time I got to the end of the book, what I felt instead of like, oh my God, how is this true? Is, well, if this is true, I am now freed from the idea that I have to practice movements in the body in a particular way to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And it freed me from that. And now I thought, well, if I just use the body then as a tool to teach the philosophy, well, I guess it doesn't really, as long as people are safe and not injuring themselves, which is the main thing, and as long as they're moving and as long as they are having an experience of the unification of their thoughts, their sensations and their movements and their breath, then they're practicing yoga. Mm -hmm. And if I can somehow use that approachable American um, idea of yoga to present these very ancient ideas of how to live your best life, how to stop resisting the flow of how things are and start working with that flow, mm -hmm. then like mission accomplished, you know, right. like maybe it doesn't matter exactly where your knee is or, you know, again, as long as you're safe, as long as right. no one's getting injured, you know, maybe it doesn't matter if you hold your toe for triangle or you use a block or your hand is resting somewhere else. You right. know, maybe, maybe if the heart is open and your spine is long and you're very into your body and having an experience of being alive, and with your breath, then maybe that's more important than exactly how it looks compared to a magazine or something. Right. Well, and I think people coming into modern yoga from for all different reasons, mm -hmm. from all different backgrounds, for all different levels of physicality. And, you know, his, uh, historically, if, if you drill down to the ancient practice, it was the seated meditation. Exactly, right? which is and the then, main thing. <laughs> and then, I mean, I've read where maybe like 10th century Hatha yoga roots started, you know, that became more of a dynamic thing. Mm -hmm. And then, and of course, there's lots of evidence around the, you know, colonialization in India and the bringing in the European mm -hmm gymnastics or movement and there's a really good book called uh, Calcutta Yoga mm -hmm. that um, is a couple 
yoga people went and researched in in um in India looking at the Goshi Yoga, mm-hmm. who was a brother in law of Yogananda, who mm-hmm. was this whole big teacher around nineteen twenties and then he kind of just vanished. Mm. <laughs> so somebody and then as people, you know, styles emerged and people came to the West and uh, so I guess it's a even yoga history is very fluid. It is, and, isn't it? And the um, one thing I'll circle back to that you touched on earlier when you were talking about being a yoga teacher, being um, trying to be a good person. Mm-hmm. I, I think like it, it reminds me of this idea that when we're living our yoga, mm-hmm. we're, we're trying like we're committed to this path. Yeah. Which means trying to be a good person. <laughs> yeah. But if you look at the 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 yamas and niyamas mm-hmm. are are really perfect ideals. Yeah. Right. And so since we're human, I think like um, it's about steady progress towards t- not saying like I'm going to be perfect. Yeah. It's saying, One day I'm, I'll arrive. <laughs> I'm moving. I'm moving in that direction. Right. Right. And so. It's a it's it's a constant striving towards this these perfect ideals, and I think and I see that like in twelve step recovery. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the essence of like why work on ourselves. Right. Well, because you can make progress and be a good person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and and the one day at a time kind of idea. I mean, your yoga practice is the same. Any any practice really. Yeah. You know, I mean, the first time somebody goes to play violin, it doesn't matter you know, they're going to sound kind of terrible. Like it's a kind of an unpleasant sound. Um, But eventually (laughs) you learn to steady how much pressure you're putting on the bow, how much pressure you're putting on the fingers, where your fingers go on the fingerboard. And like any art form, yoga being one form of art, one art form, um, you do find a steady progress. I I just had a woman in class today who uh, she told me it was her first class back to practicing after she'd had a baby. Uh, Her son is like nine weeks old. So, you know, she's relatively new as a mother. And she was like, oh, my hips are so tight. And, you know, like everything feels different now. Um, But she also said, you know, I kind of feel like, oh, yeah, I remember that, you know, it's comfortable for my hips to do this normally and it isn't today. So now I kind of have something to work toward. Mm. You know, and it wasn't like, oh, I'm failing because I can't get into this pose like I used to. It was more yeah. like, oh, this it's immediately apparent to me where my work lies or where my progress um, should be focused. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was such a beautiful way to, you know, accept her new body yeah, <laughs> as yeah. a new mother. I just thought that was cool. Yeah. Um, but something else that I say a lot to my students and it's just kind of become one of my like, you know, mantras in life is that the practice is the reward. Mm -hmm. You don't practice to get to the reward. The act of coming to your mat, the act of controlling your breath in a challenging situation, um, the act of seeing and being aware of where you have, where your work is, Mm -hmm. and then seeing that work actually come to some kind of fruition. Um, The act of staying compassionate in a situation that would have really triggered you in the past. You know, that stuff I mean, when you have that moment, I know you've had hundreds of these in your life, as have I, and all the people that are practicing with intention have these moments where you're like, oh my gosh, five years ago, I would have done this instead. Or like, even last week, you know, this would have really set me off, but I've come to my peace with it. And that awareness, it just in the moment when it's happening is like 
that is the blessing. Right. You know, like that, yeah. that is the moment of like, oh, that's what I've been doing all that pigeon pose for. <laughs> or like, you know, oh, that's why I've um, stayed connected to this practice because yeah. um, when you have that awareness, when you have that realization, um, it is meaningful and it is a, a blessing that very little else can come close to, yeah. you know, um, financial rewards are fun, you know, gifts are good when relationships work out. That's really nice, you know, but when it's something inside yourself that really only you can know that change, other people might notice, you know, like, wow, man, you seem like way more calm than you used to be. You're like, hey, you're looking pretty fit. Like what's going on with you or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's nice when other people notice, but that's not the purpose. You know, yeah. the idea is to know yourself. And I think that's one of the things about yoga that's been such an attractor for me is that it is a personal direct experience. We talk about darshan, mm -hmm. you know, that direct experience of of knowing something, not because you learned it or because someone taught it to you, yeah. but because you had the experience. I've always been interested in direct knowledge paths, any kind of um, like shamanism. I was really interested in the Bible when they had the um, the, the Pentecost, where they, these people were, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they have cloven tongues of fire on their heads, and they're like speaking in tongues and all this stuff. Like I was like, dude, that's mystical. Like <laughs> I want to have an experience like that, where it's not something I learned or whatever, but something like I directly felt and experienced in my body, in my mind. I've always been attracted to that. And I think yoga provides so many avenues yeah, for that. Right. Like you can do it through your body. You can do it through yana yoga in your mind. You can do it through devotional acts, through bhakti yoga. I mean, there's so many of these beautiful paths. Karma yoga, to be of service to others. Yoga offers so many different ways to come to the same conclusion. Yeah. And I think that's what attracts me to it is it really is for everyone. Yeah. You know? Well, that's like the whole mission of City Yoga is the way we offer so many styles, right? So it is the message is it is for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, try this, try that, see what resonates with you. Maybe there's a blend mm -hmm. and, and blends are okay, right? Yeah. And choose your own adventure. Yeah. You know, like try a little bit of everything, yeah. you know? Well, and you talk about that um, experience on the mat. It reminds me of the, the idea that our yoga mats are this little laboratory of discovering what it means to be human. Mm -hmm. And then we can take that out into the world and then um and i get that seeking for that big sort of white light mm -hmm. experience and i made me think about jack cornfield mm. always uses the little buddhist phrase of you know after enlightenment chop wood yes. carry water right yes. which do do the 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 kind of non-glamorous Mm -hmm. acts of living you know like yeah just like the the routine the t taking part in the routine is what like enlightenment teaches us to participate in life <laughs> i definitely resonate with that um in my lifetime both as a hairdresser as a homemaker and as a yoga teacher i've swept a lot of floors <laughs> it's just like part of the job right you sweep the studio after you teach you sweep up the you know area around your hair cutting chair when you've cut somebody's hair and then being a homemaker was part of the deal is you keep the house clean or whatever and um I never thought of it as drudgery. Actually, I have probably like awesome lats from, you know, <laughs> sweeping the floor. It's like a rowing machine. I just constantly sweeping. But um, sometimes 
when I'm feeling particularly devotional, mm-hmm. I can pick up a broom and sweep the floor and think, okay, well, there's cat hair, there's, you know, whatever. Um, or I can pick up the broom and sweep the floor when I'm feeling really devotional and think to myself, right now, I am clearing a space in my home for the footsteps of the divine. Like I'm using this act of something so mundane of sweeping the floor and thinking of it as um, a devotional act to invite sacredness into my home. And then I think about like my teenage daughter or, you know, my partner or some, a guest who might stop by and thinking about, you know, their lotus feet on the floor, you know, and really just kind of bringing a sense of um, love and devotion to the smallest acts. I mean, washing the dishes could be drudgery or you could kind of like, as you're cleaning, think about um, the next person who eats out of this will have this clean vessel, you know, just like imagining each tiny little insignificant thing. I think I've always been interested in the, like the tantric or devotional bhakti qualities mm-hmm. um, of daily life, you know? Nothing yeah. doesn't have to be put on these special robes, go to this special place, you know, use this special tool. Sometimes, uh, you know, peeling an orange can be like a very visceral experience of what it is to see and feel the prana inside the fruit mm-hmm. and then to become one with it as you ingest it into your body and to smell it and the senses are engaged and to just sit with that movement of life to life to life to life come you know flowing yeah. through you yeah. it's it's really beautiful i think practicing on a daily basis not just the postures but also this mindset of you know oneness with everything i mean you feel it more than others at certain yeah. times yeah. <laughs> but it's a practice it, well that's why they call it right exactly <clears throat> well and the idea if we really drill down into this idea of yoga is coming into the moment mm-hmm where it's the only place we can possibly be, but yeah. obviously our mind can be other places. Mm-hmm. But the whole essence of yoga is to, is, you know, calm the chitta vritti, right? Yes. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're finding stillness in our mind so mm-hmm. that when we are appealing to orange, we can be totally in, immersed in the act of peeling the orange, sweeping the floor. Being in the moment, which the, we are taught is where the only place life can possibly happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The only place that ultimate joy and happiness can be found. Mm-hmm. So in that context, regardless of what we're doing, if we can be fully present doing it, we'll, we'll find joy in it. Absolutely. What, whatever. And I think some of the, you know, the people that have gone through just immeasurable hardships that you know, have emerged as spiritual leaders mm-hmm. over history. That's, I think that's maybe one of the qualities that there was a deep faith mm-hmm. in something greater than ourselves. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a present moment focus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so whether it's, um, I saw that movie uh, about Harriet Tubman not that long ago mm. when she was just like, like, you know, just in the throes of oppression and slavery. and But she felt uh, a calling from beyond herself to, mm. to go. And and we're talking, you know, however hundreds of miles she went alone at dark. Yeah. Unable to read or write. No maps. Hmm. Follow the rivers, stay to the right, 
follow the North Star and and trust trust God. Yeah. It's basically yeah. trust this this inner wisdom, this divine light. And and that was like that I mean she did end up doing miraculous things. Or Wonderfully, yeah. Yeah. Nelson Mandela. I mean exactly. like all through history there's people that like felt called to be on a path and then they were very focused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and of course they were human, you know. Right. But I think that's that's really the essence of what like yoga teaches us about finding your own truth. Yes. And then you know, focusing in on the moment. And mm-hmm. that's where, you know, we get because uh, like my mind can wander. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and meditation can I mean I've meditated, you know, for decades and there have been times in my life where I could sit for long periods of time pretty, pretty relaxed. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where 20 minutes is a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> so, I've been there. <laughs> you're right. So, so it's like each time is its own individual experience. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and if I take that sort of almost little sort of naive childlike view of like, okay, what's, you know, meditation is going to be like today. Mm-hmm, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. just not having any heavy expectations on yeah. it. Yeah. Sitting there on my mat and, and just becoming still. And then, you know, like sometimes I'll, I'll just be surprised at how long I sat there. Mm-hmm. And, and then sometimes I'll be, I'll think, did I, you know, like, I'll look at my little stop. I usually set a timer if it's in the morning, so mm-hmm. I don't. So you're not late to work. <laughs> right, right. And you I'll become absorbed. <laughs> and I'll, right, and I'll I'll look and I'm like, did I forget to set the timer? It, it should have gone off by now. It's like I'm only like halfway done. Right, right. <laughs> and so I always think of that scene in Eat, Pray, Love when she goes to sit in the meditation chamber and she's like struggling and she's trying to get in there and she's like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm finally doing it. And then she opens her eyes and like 30 seconds has passed <laughs> yeah. and she's just like, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, and I do think. A lot of people have this misperception that um, meditation is about making the mind completely blank. Yeah. And the way that I usually teach this to make it, you know, so that people aren't trying to do this impossible thing yeah. is like, well, when we find stillness in meditation, we don't ask our heart to stop beating. Like ideally it keeps going so we don't die. You know, we don't ask our breath to stop moving. We might request or try to make a situation happen where our heart is beating more softly or calmly or our breath is moving more slowly. And in the same way, we can create certain conditions where our mind might be less busy than normal or like slightly slower in movement. But I love, I don't know if it was Ram Das or um, someone else who uh, described meditation as like, lying on your back and watching the clouds go by mm-hmm. and like your thoughts will, you know, come and then they'll go. And it's not important. Like when you see a cloud in the sky pass through your field of vision, you don't think, I wonder where it's going, Yeah, you know, or what's going to happen to that cloud? Is it going to dissolve when it hits a new temperature zone? Like you don't think about it. You don't mm-hmm. follow it to its logical conclusion. You just enjoy that it's there and you let it pass and wait for the next one yeah. and just kind of be present with it. Um, and I think actually this difficulty that people had in instilling their minds is like, well, you don't want to still your heart or your breath either. Like All maybe right. just let it be slow <laughs> um, and then just observe it. Observe your breath. Observe the flow of thoughts in your mind, I think is kind of what led me to presenting the sound aspect of meditation is as part of my teaching practice mm-hmm. because it worked so well for me. 
um, in my own practice to either chant mantra or to work with these singing bowls and other um, resonant instruments in the same way that we watch the clouds go by and right. just let them arrive, let them be there for a moment and then let them dissolve onto the next thing. The sounds that I'm using in a lot of these meditation sound baths and sound immersions works very much the same way. You hear maybe an initial strike or the beginning of the sound. You hear like it sustains for a little while and then eventually kind of like fades into something else. And we don't think to ourselves, you know, like, oh, man, that breath I had 15 minutes ago, it was so awesome. I really wish I still had that same breath back. Yeah. Like right. we're we just it flows, it's you know, fluid, yeah. and we accept that it flows. And so if we can take that same mindset with almost anything else, like thoughts, money, relationships, right? These things that keep occurring for us. Yeah. Um, if we can have that same attitude of it is here. I'm enjoying it and now it's gone and not be like, oh man, you know, just be What's a, It's an steady. observation without attachment. Yes, exactly. And that without attachment doesn't mean detached, like you don't care. Right. It just, it means you enjoy it while it's here and then you let it go. Like I think about that with breath, like what a gift it is for that breath to come in. Like it brings new life and new life force into our bodies. It's nourishing our bodies. It's in our lungs for a short time and then it flows back out and it takes with it any impurities from our body. It cleanses us. It purifies us. But it doesn't, we don't, we don't hold on to our breath and not let it out. We just kind of expect and know that the next breath will come, you mm -hmm. know? And what if we could do that with everything? Like I can spend this last dollar because I know that another dollar will come or I can spend this time with this person whose presence I'm enjoying because I know that if for some reason we don't see each other again for a while, there'll be some other person for me to look into their eyes and enjoy their company in a conversation. You know, it's not um, about holding and I think that's what the asana practice is about too. Where is there a holding of tension in the body? When are you maybe holding your breath in a pose? Mm -hmm. Or where is there a place where the energy kind of um, bottlenecks or gets slower or stuck kind of? And can we use both the posture and the mindset and the breath to make more space in the body to receive and hold those sensations when they come. And then can we use the breath out to relax a little bit more or to invite more ease and less attachment? Mm -hmm. um, I think being unattached or unattached to outcome or whatever is, is really about enjoying it fully while it's happening mm -hmm. and not um, expecting we don't expect that inhale to last forever. Yeah. <laughs> we we got to let it back out. <laughs> right. You know, whether you're holding it in or holding it out, you know, either way, you're not going to live, you know. Yeah. And, and I think that's maybe not so literally true with relationships and money and ideas and attitudes. But yeah. it is in some ways, you know, are you really living? You know, are you holding an attitude? Are you refusing an attitude? Are you holding tightly to a relationship or refusing to have a, an interaction or, you know, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. It's just like your breath. Your breath is the guru that can never let you down. Mm -hmm. You know, it works every time. Um, and it's just, it's, the, it's a perfect model for so many of the philosophical practices of yoga, uh, that when we explore the breath fully and we stay present with it. And I think too, kind of circling back to the music, I think the mantra chanting, it affects your breath so much. 
um, when you're singing out loud anyway. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not about having like a perfect voice or anything. It's about the feeling of the vibration moving through your own body and about the flow in of breath and then the outflow of breath being sort of an offering to the source of the breath that flowed in. So it's like receiving the breath in and then singing the breath back out to the source that brought it to you in the first place. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a very reciprocal act of being present with sacred life. It's awesome. It's fun. Well, and that, and I think it will resonate with students that that vibration and and sound speaks to us in a different way. And Mm -hmm. and largely our job as teachers is allowing, creating the space where students can listen to their own wisdom. 100% agreed. Sound does that, if it's vigorous vinyasa, Mm -hmm. if it's uh, some style of meditation, um, then you know, I think that's that's kind of our job is like, how can we facilitate this experience mm-hmm. that is going to be positive mm-hmm. and uh, hopefully life, not life altering, but maybe life enhancing. enhancing, yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. And uh, like Rolf Rolf Gates, who's been here doing our advanced teacher training, he talks a lot about you know, the, the wisdoms within all of our students, our job is to help them remember. Yes. You know, and I, I yeah. love that because it's like, yeah. And even for my own personal practice, like knowing that when I talk about stillness, I'm not talking about not thinking, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I'm um, stilling the distractions mm-hmm. so I can hear the wisdom of the heart. Yes, right? that's a nice way to put it. Yeah, right? I like that. And um and the, uh, I guess they, you know, in some meditations are like observe the thoughts mm-hmm. with, with a, a curiosity mm-hmm. and then like the clouds, mm-hmm. like, oh, that's interesting and go on to the next thing. So that, that is a very calming practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really the foundation of like what Jack Cornfield teaches. Mm-hmm. Or like a mindfulness kind mindfulness of approach. Uh-huh. kind of meditation yeah. and, and where it's. It's not trying to wrestle with the mind. Right. right? Yeah. Because that's exhausting. Yeah. I mean, and it never stops. Like you, you can keep wrestling, but man, your mind is going to win every time. You know, I used to say the same thing about hair when I was a hairdresser. I was like, you can fight with your hair every day or you can accept that your hair is curly or your hair is straight or your hair is gray or your hair is blonde or whatever it is. Yeah. Accept that that's true and then just make it look as good as you can with what you got. You know, like, you know, and it was part of my training as a hairdresser. I was doing that for about 17 years before I started teaching yoga full time was to help the client see themselves clearly and appreciate their own beauty as they are. Yeah. You know, it wasn't about, oh, well, let me let me see if I can make you look good in the same way as a my role as a teacher isn't. Let me see if I can help you understand this or let me see if I can teach this to you. Uh-huh. It's more like um, when I was a hairdresser, I would always have the client facing the mirror. A lot of hairdressers um, stand in one place and move the chair around to move the client up and down and around. And I kept the client facing the mirror all the time. And I moved my own body around the, mm-hmm. the client. And it was partly because I wanted the client to see themselves the whole time like the experience was i see who i am uh-huh. i see my own beauty i see my own value and an interesting i keep saying this as i'm getting deeper into this full-time yoga is that it's the same job <laughs> <laughs> it's like see yourself see your own value 
You know, and it's nothing that I'm doing to you. Like these poses that I'm leading you through aren't making you enlightened. Like you already have this within you. And maybe if you flow through this thing with me and we do it together, we can find a way for you to remember it. I love that way of thinking of it or to rediscover it. It is already in there. Mm -hmm. You are already whole. You are already beautiful. You are already sacred. Now, can you can you think of yourself that way or can you remember yourself in that way? Um, can you remember your place in that wholeness? Yeah. Um, and it, it's nothing that I can give. Um, <laughs> I can, It's like the thing about I can show you the door, but you got to walk through it. You know, it's like, <laughs> right. you know, um, I don't think any teacher anywhere can um, help anybody unless the student wants to find that and they are doing the work. You know, right. you might offer them sources or practices that they can do or um, share some of your own experiences out of vulnerability and um, sort of a, like um, see we're the same. Like we both have everybody mm -hmm. has this or finding ways to make um, it universal so people don't feel alone in their struggles. But really, the student always has to do the work. You know, right. it's the old the old joke about like how many psychiatrists it take to change a light bulb. It could be true of yoga teachers too. Yeah. How many yoga teachers does it change? You know, take to change a light bulb? Only one. But the light bulb has to want to change, yeah. right? You yeah. know, so people, change. right, right. So people come to yoga, like you were saying, for different reasons. And I, this is something I bring up a lot too, because my classes may or may not be the class for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, um, they appeal to a certain uh, group of people, maybe. Um, but I think if you, what you need is something that brings you into balance. And I'm a really high energy person. I talk a lot and I'm um, excitable and really enthusiastic. And I think um, like really high energy, um, heavy movement, heated classes kind of take me out of balance. They bring my registic energy like past the point where it feels okay. Mm -hmm. um, but then I think people who are more uh, maybe internal or people who are more sedentary in their lifestyle. Maybe they drive a lot or they have, a, um, they do a lot of seated work um, or standing in one place or something like that. Um, you know, a slow stillness based class is like going to take their tamasic energy out, out of balance. Yeah, it it yeah. gets already out of balance. And so we all need a combination of active and stillness, you mm. know, or, um, uh, mentally engaging and physically engaging. You know, we need, we all need a different combination. I feel like you have to kind of find your own secret formula. It's like yeah. what, what brings you into balance? What practices make you feel um, like things are balanced? Yeah. And what things take you out of that balance? Yeah. You know, being around a lot of people at once, a big crowd of people, like just throws my like already logistic energy like it's mm. too much for me yeah. um so my practices at home especially are very much stillness based practices mm. and maybe holding poses for a long time i do like to challenge myself you know like i totally want madonna arms right yeah. i mean we all want to look and feel good in our bodies yeah um but i think my main aim in any kind of yoga practice whether it's physical or not is to find that balance of mm. my mind balance of my heart um, balance of my inspiration versus my expression, you know, yeah. like all of those things. Um, and each person has to kind of find their own magic formula. Yeah. Well, and knowing that it may be different for each person when they're in their 30s. Yes. Versus their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You know, like each phase of life. Yes. There, and that's, I mean, that's part of the, like the way people can struggle with aging is like, yes. like not getting used to 
you know, being 40 mm-hmm. and wanting to act like I'm 25. Right. I mean, right. And, and I went through that, you know, and, and I mean, it's a human condition. Right. And a lot of this cultural idea of like youth is king, you know, yeah, like yeah. old people are irrelevant. Okay, boomer, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Which, which is, you know, what is interesting. The um, have you, you've heard of blue zones. No, I don't think I know about this. Well, there was the Blue Zone study. This basically some researchers found that um, these little pockets around the world where they found these communities where like everybody was living to be like over a hundred. Yes, I do know about this. The yeah. longevity. Okay, yes. And, yeah, and, you refresh my memory. The, yeah, yes. they called it the Blue Zones. Uh-huh. And they were, you know, just did a bunch of research to see if there was commonalities. And and there was, I mean, there was, I forget how many things, um, but there was, um, say, a half a dozen traits that mm-hmm. were in common. Um, one of them was actually a majority plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. You know, so like meat was there in some of them, but it was wasn't that significant source of, mm-hmm. of nutrition. Um, daily exercise. So like, some of these were either island or hilltop community. Mm-hmm. So there was it's just the walking alone. Walking. Yeah. Um, a lot of people had like a backyard garden mm-hmm. or there was, so there was some connection with the earth. But the one thing that you just reminded me of is that there was always a sense of community and yes. your place in the community. So there was no old people are not relevant. Right. It, right. It like, so like if you were the, if you were the baker and then you got, you, you got older and you, you know, you passed off your bakery to someone else, mm-hmm. then you were a, a valued member of the community. People go to you for advice. Yeah, right. So there right. was always a role that mm-hmm. you, you may be on the city council now. And then after you did that, then you become just like a, a wise elder. Yeah. And, but there was a... That's what I want to be when I grow up. I hope I make it there. <laughs> yeah. I'd love to be a wise elder when I grow up. Like, let my hair go gray and just really... I thought about that when I was changing careers. Like, man, the older I get as a hairdresser, the less relevant I am as a hairdresser. No. But the older I am as a yoga teacher, it's like, oh, she's wise. And she's been studying this long. I mean, I've been practicing about 25 years. Yeah. And, you know, the longer I teach, like, the more, the more time I've spent practicing, right? So the... Uh, the longevity of my career as a as a teacher is like more useful, right. yeah. <laughs> you know. Whereas the older I got as a hairdresser, it was like, ah, oh, she's old; she doesn't know what's in style anymore, you know, <laughs> or whatever. Uh, and it seemed like a good choice, like, oh, I could maybe do this for the rest mm-hmm. of my life. You know, Tao Porchon Lynch is one of my heroes. She, I think, she just recently turned one hundred and one. Yeah. She's the oldest living yoga teacher, and she's real sassy and cool and fun. You know, yeah. like I want to be that when I grow up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm with you. Well, that's that's a good um, sort of little segue into your yoga journey. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what what happened what you know what was your life like when you discovered yoga and okay, how's that yeah. how has that whole thing unfolded um okay let's see the first time i ever practiced yoga um was in the 90s it was i had a tv vcr combo unit remember those mm. um love it and uh, somebody had loaned me uh, she was from California because, you know, yoga was like definitely a thing in California in the 90s that hadn't quite arrived, you know, fully in, in the Midwest yet. Um, so my friend from California uh, loaned me this VHS tape and it was like Patricia Walden. Yeah. Uh, so it was an Iyengar based practice, which I wouldn't have known at the time. But, you know, um, and so I would I would do this and I kind of flow with it a little bit. You know, I was just doing it at home. Uh, a lot of people, I think, start their practices at home and then maybe venture into a studio. Um mm-hmm. 
This is Indiana. Yeah, this was so here in Indiana. There wasn't a studio. There, Wonder, yeah, maybe. there probably wasn't. I mean, I don't know that I would have sought that out. It wasn't. I wasn't as into it yet that I would have made it like a lifestyle choice. Uh-huh. Um, I, I liked it. I liked moving with my breath. I liked the way her voice sounded. And you know, when you go back and look at these old videos, they're hilarious. It's like, you know. Sure, her face is like deadpan stare. There, it's all voiceover, so her mouth isn't moving, but you know it's her talking to you and leading you. Through. I mean, they're so weird and all like the weird lighting like, like, and Lil- Lily is fallen. Oh yes, yeah. totally. Which I love her. I mean, she's great. Yeah. So yeah. I started, you know, with just this, these VHS tapes and just kind of practicing on my own. And I was, you know, just out of high school at that time. And I was very much into exploring. I had spent most of my life, uh, both my parents are Bible scholars, and I had grown up in churches that both my parents were involved or even employed by the church. And so spirituality and connection to the sacred and to God was always part of my life. It was never not. And, you know, some people kind of feel like, oh, I got to like reject my family of origin or like, you know, what I was grown up with so that I can find my own path. And I did try to do that, but it never occurred to me to be like spirituality and God are not important. What it, what what did occur to me as a form of rebellion was like, well, the most exotic thing I can think of having grown up Christian would be like Buddhism because it's like not from our culture. It's like there's not really like a theistic thing. It's kind of like non-theistic and it's abstract and it's all about how life is suffering. Like what if I like studied that and just to see what it is, you know, and it wasn't like hell bent on leaving the church or anything. I was just, I was curious, you know, I'd never been exposed to anything else. And so when I went to college, I studied uh, comparative religion and philosophy and I loved it. I loved it. It was like, I wanted to learn everything about everything. Um, You know, then it was Hinduism and just like all these different things. And, you know, over time, of course, what I realized is like, wow, these things are all so much more similar than they are different, you know? (laughs) Um, And so it was like, oh man, I'm rebelling so hard by finding God in a different language. Okay, whatever. (laughs) You know, like it really wasn't that that much of a rebellion. Um, And my parents, uh, like I said, were both Bible scholars. They had studied Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. Um, to study the Bible and its original languages. And, you know, I never even thought about this until, you know, more recently in my life when I was starting to really study Sanskrit so that I can read these texts in the original language yeah. and understand these mantras in their original language. And I was like, oh, my God, once again, the apple does not fall that far yeah. from the tree, you know, yeah. like, wow. Yeah. But anyway, so I started with these home practices and I was never like super serious about it. And I was never interested in any kind of exercise like ever in my whole life, ever. Um, and so this was more of a spiritual exploration than a physical one, mm-hmm. but over time and having studied these other different kinds of things, I got into, um, certain meditation practices. I went to like a meditation workshop in college that cost me like every freaking penny I had to get there. Cause it was so broke. Um, but I went, I felt like it was really important. So I went and, you know, I did that practice for a long what time. Kind of, what meditation was it? It was called, um, the Ashaya's Ascension which I don't know if they're like really much still around anymore. <laughs> okay. um, but interestingly, the book that I was given or the book that I bought um, at that meditation workshop um, turned out to be the Yoga Sutras. Okay. Now it was uh, translated by this guy. And actually it's, it's, you know, it's a pretty decent translation. I still refer to it sometimes because it breaks down a lot of the Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't believe in like, it did get a little bit maybe like copyrighted culty kind of like this is the way that we understand it kind of thing and as soon as somebody says this is the way you've lost me yeah i'm done with you yeah. i am way too anarchistic even spiritually to like accept that there is 
an answer and that's it, you know? So as soon as you say the way, I'm like, I'm looking for something else. So I explored that. I got into like witchcraft and the occult and spell work for a long time, which in my mind was very much just another form of prayer and manifestation. Um, so I learned a lot from that and symbolism. And that involved some chanting and breathing exercises, too. So, I mean, really, all these paths that I thought were separate paths really are not that separate. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'm still studying philosophy on my own. I'm still doing breathing practices on my own. I'm still chanting in other languages on my own. You know, like these are things that I've just always been interested in. Um, And I really feel like I'm a very autodidactic person. I prefer to learn on my own than in a group. I prefer to learn on my own than in a in a formal class with deadlines and papers to write and things. Not that I mind writing papers. I do them for fun on my own. <laughs> I got stacks of stuff on my computer of stuff that I've written yeah. that would be probably a college level essay or something. Uh-huh. But I I like not having the deadline. Mm -hmm. I like being able to explore it as long as I want. I had an experience when I was in high school with my science teacher. I was probably ninth grade, and we I don't remember what we were studying, but. I got really interested in it and I raised my hand in class after doing the homework that night and I said, hey, like, I know we're supposed to move on to something else, but I'm still kind of interested in this. Like, could we stay on this a little bit longer or could you like tell me a book I could read on my own? And he just kind of said, I don't have time for that. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Right? Shoot, shoot down so the that moment. The brightening mind. Right. And I, you know, I know teachers are overworked. Like now from my adult perspective, I totally get right, it. But right. at the time I was like, well, screw public education, screw like mm. a formal education. I can Anarchy. do this. Yeah. I can do this goodwill hunting style and do it at the library, you know? Yeah. And I do know a lot of librarians, mostly because I've spent a lot of time yeah. in libraries. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Well, I, yeah, books. Are, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love being in this office with you because it looks like my house. I mean, it's just like books everywhere and they're all yoga books. <laughs> uh, well, we, we've got some um, people on the fringes of yoga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the Eckhart Tolle and, you know, some of the some of the stuff that's... Yeah. Um, some philosophers. Yeah, like even the Dan Brown fiction stuff. It still has some, like, relationship to, like, sacred things or Symbolism. mysterious yeah. things or occulty kinds of, you know, uh, uh, mysteries we haven't quite unraveled right. yet. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even that. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. It's, it's all there. It all kind of revolves around there. And what, you know, I... So back to your journey. Mm-hmm. So you're you're going through college mm-hmm. and and you're somewhat discovering that you the roots mm-hmm. ancestral roots are still yeah yeah still within and 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 then hairdressing became a thing. Yeah, I um. Like I said, I'm a little bit of an anarchist. I don't love authority. You might have noticed. Um, and so the idea of being a hairdresser meant I could be my own boss. Oh, okay. So that's great. Yeah, you know, yeah. like nobody nobody can tell me what to do. Awesome. How do I get that job? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I did. I worked really hard at it. Um, I actually dropped out of uh, a, a career. I was uh, a retail store manager at Starbucks way back in the day. And that was 38th and Meridian. I remember these days. Which was next door to the original City, City Yoga. Yoga. Yeah. And so I was taking classes there. There. Yeah. Um, I took some prenatal classes there uh, when I was pregnant with my kid. And uh, I knew Nikki 
uh, back then. Yeah. She was sometimes a customer at the coffee shop. So we knew each other uh, yeah. from back in the early days of City Yoga. Um, and I practiced at some other places around the city that were like old school, you know, Charles and Carol uh, were teachers of mine for a while. I was at All People for a little while, you know, just yeah. kind of, I, I floated around because that's what was available. You well, know, you tried everything. Three original. Yeah. And so I practiced less. at all yeah. those places yeah. back, you know, way back in the day in the early 2000s, I guess it would have been. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I became a hairdresser, which meant that I had, uh, I made my own schedule, which means I could take classes. I could take yoga classes. Um, and I did that for a long time, had a baby. I was married for a, a long time. Um, and the guy that I was married to, he's a great guy. I mean, we've been divorced now about six years. Uh, we have a wonderful co-parenting relationship. He's a really neat guy. But he and I both had a very strong curiosity I mean, he was he was like we are. He was yeah. a book guy. He was a let me figure it out guy. He was a, I need to try this guy. And also um, an explorer of consciousness, you know. Um, so that was something that, you know, he and I had in common and we really encouraged each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, just recently, you know, he noticed that I was wearing all white and he just kind of like, you know, jokingly, not in a making fun of me kind of way was like, so what are you like a kundalini yogi now? And I was like, well, I'm kind of like checking it out. And he's like, cool. You know, and he wasn't like making fun of me. Yeah, he was just yeah. kind of like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Nice to see you arriving at that cool destination, I'm, you know? I'm reflecting energy. Right. Totally. And that's what I told him. I mean, I have been wearing white as a practice that I take on sometimes um, for long periods of time. And it is about reflection. It is about bringing light. It is about being at least at a subliminal level recognized as a bringer of light um, mm-hmm. or a person who can reflect you back to yourself safely. Mm-hmm. Um and a mindfulness practice because, you know, you don't get spaghetti on it, right? Yeah. <laughs> so there's that too. Um, and the extra work and devotion it takes to keep your white clothes clean. I mean, there's a lot of it. It's not really, for me personally, it's not a kundalini thing. It's, yeah. it's a separate practice, but they also practice that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then college, hairdressing, family, got married, and then, ooh, divorce. Mm. Yeah, we were just talking about how people who've been through hard times are usually people who, if they can you know, mustered up, they, they find their way back to the light somehow, you know, ideally. Mm-hmm. And um, that was a hard time for me. As like I said, my ex-husband and I get along great these days. But of course, that was a painful time. I mean, yeah. even if we try and we did try to keep everything very loving and compassionate between us as we were unraveling our lives from one another. And I think we did an OK job. I think he did better than me, to be honest, uh. <laughs> at being kind and compassionate. Um but it was through that crisis and that dark time that actually I came once again back to City Yoga. Uh, I reached out to my very longtime friend, Adrian Lovell. Um, he has been a longtime teacher here. And I was like, look, I need a place to fall apart if I come to your class and I cry and leave in the middle. Is that OK? And she was like, girl, yes, come. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so she took pretty good care of me. She kind of um, shepherded me back into my practice because I was too lethargic and depressed to do it on my own. And I needed a safe place that, you know, I could fall apart if I needed to and a teacher that I trusted. And because she and I had an existing relationship, I felt Mm -hmm. very safe with Adrian. And she's been a wonderful friend to me ever since. I mean, we've known each other a long time. Um, But coming back to the practice, it just, I uh, once, so that was like six years ago, six, seven years ago. um, I never left after that. You know, I wouldn't say, when I say I've been practicing for 25 years, I don't mean every day for 25 years and I've like achieved enlightenment or something like on and off for 25 years. And in some ways, some of these other quote unquote other practices are in fact sort of yogic in nature mm-hmm. and uh, spurred my inquiry. Um, but a few years ago when I was going through that hard time of divorce and my family unraveling and having to move and, you know, doing all this stuff, I came back to the practice again and um, 
it saved me. I mean, it was, you know, so many people say this about uh, yoga yeah, and their, yeah. their time of need. It just, you know, gave them something to focus on. It, it yeah. did something that was helpful to their body, helpful to their mind, gave them a place to be vulnerable, gave them a place to fall apart. It helped move those heavy emotions through their bodies and all kinds of things. And it did all those things for me. And eventually my kid and I, I tried to get my kid to come with me to practice. And, you know, they did for a little while until they became a little bit later in their teen years. And now it's like uncool because mom does it. But right. um so they came with me to a couple practices and we went to a class one time and it was a restorative class. And I was like, you know, how does a kid feel about restorative yoga? Like usually you'd think a kid would want to move a little more than that. And so I, I asked him about it. I was like, how, how was that for you? And they were like, well, I mean, it's okay. You know, and they kind of described what they liked and didn't like about it. And I said, okay, well, here's what I would have done completely differently than that. You know, so I'm like critiquing this class. Right. And she, they just looked at me like, mom, why are you not a yoga teacher? Like you seem to have these really strong opinions about <laughs> about how maybe how this should go down. Um, maybe you should like think about that. And I, it was the next morning that I came to City Yoga and dropped off my application. And it was like four or five months before our training began. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. But I started making my payments right away. Yeah. And, and uh, I had, well, that night after we got home, I printed out the application, filled it all out. Mm -hmm. And the next morning I came in and dropped it off with my okay. deposit. I was like, I'm doing this. You knew. And uh, yeah. I had no idea that I was going to like quit my lucrative job that I loved, <laughs> <laughs> you know, to do this other different job that I love. Um, and I, you know, we'll see where it leads me, right. you know, we'll see where it leads me. I do ask to be led every day when I wake up in the morning, before mm. I get out of bed, sometimes before I even open my eyes, but certainly before my feet hit the floor, yeah. I've asked to be led and that my voice would be used for holy purposes and my hands would be used for holy purposes and um, that I would be led into situations where I can be of service and um, led into um, relationships that are mutually beneficial. And um, I, I do ask for that kind of um, leadership in my life um, from the sacred or God or the divine, whatever name you want to give to that entity. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I have been led in a lot of ways that are hopefully helpful to other people because that's the whole idea but they've certainly been helpful for me if nothing else yeah um i do feel a f like i'm living in a fulfilled way and mm. i love what i do every day i mean basically i wake up i put comfortable clothes on i go connect with other human beings who i love and who i feel like love me back and then i get them all really relaxed sometimes i tuck them in and then i <laughs> sing the name of god over them yeah. until they feel relaxed i mean that's an awesome job yeah. i love it and yeah. then i spend all my quote unquote free time studying mm -hmm. learning sanskrit learning deeper philosophy getting deeper into the text i mean who knew there were so many yogic texts right there's like billions of them i was like no, okay i've yeah. read the sutras and i was like oh honey there's so much more <laughs> which which doesn't translation yeah, yes right and then like you know the upanishads the gita there's like all these vedas i mean there's so much um you know you could spend your whole lifetime diving deeply and you'd never know it all and that's appealing well and some might argue all you need to know is within you already oh so true so true i do get caught up in the ego trap of um look at all these books that I've read. You know, Marsha Pappas, when we were in teacher training, she didn't say it directly to me, but I think she was kind of like offering it for my consideration in a compassionate <laughs> and kind way. Like, um, I think everybody's realized that you're really smart. Like maybe um, teach what you know 
and maybe work with what you know already before you try to dive a little deeper and like you know what I mean mm-hmm. like and she was she was so God love her she's such an amazing teacher um, it was certainly compassionate but yeah. I, I got the message like <laughs> oh okay I hear you now <laughs> right right well and that's part of that the whole training is around asking yes. better questions yes like, what does this need to read all these books mm-hmm. and learn all these things yeah like, who is it for self inquiry oh right? totally and and there, and I go through phases where I stop reading like books for knowledge and read mm-hmm. books for fun. Yeah, you know, like it's like that's where the damn yeah, Brown, yeah. The, but not, still, right, like, there's still a little tie-in. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it, it and sometimes I'll find a really good historical fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so sometimes I, I like try I'm, to take a little lighter, like read something that was written in English in a modern era. Rather yeah. than trying to read this like ancient thing, you know, uh, my recent most recent favorite book is a book called Radical Wholeness okay. written by Philip Shepard. And I feel like, you know, with my knowledge of yoga, I'm reading this and it's like explaining what the state of yoga is. Mm-hmm. It talks about wholeness. It talks about how we are one with everything. But there are no Sanskrit words. There are no yoga philosophy words. It is so approachable. And um, so beautifully written, you know, he'll talk about how we are breathing in the oxhalations of forests mm-hmm. and, and every breath we take in is born of the sunlight on leaves and how when we breathe back out, we offer a gift back to the plants that nourish us. And it's like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm totally in, you know, but there's no quote unquote yoga. But of course, he's explaining exactly what it is to be in that state of yeah. oneness that yoga aims toward yeah. so that's been a favorite one too it's a little bit of a heavy read i'm not gonna lie it yeah. is a little heavy but it's beautifully written and if you're patient with it i think it's an excellent book well i think sometimes my mind needs that mm-hmm. i feel like i need i mean i, I picked up a, a don't laugh a, like a 1942 version of war and peace oh interesting <laughs> and so it's very interesting because it had a really long introduction huh that was written in 1942 and you know a big emphasis on war and peace has has the napoleonic wars Mm -hmm. and so they were comparing napoleon's invasion to russia to the current invasion of russia by hitler right right and and the outcome was yet unknown so Mm. there was a little speculation on what will happen to creativity yeah fascism wins this oh world gosh. war, you know, so yeah. it was like, it was, but, um, but it was, it, it was like, I, sometimes I like to challenge myself and mm-hmm. read something that was, you know, it was probably written in mid, you know, 19th century. Mm-hmm. So, uh, different language, but my interest in history mm-hmm. that again, my father was a history teacher. So I didn't right, know that. That's right? cool. So, See, apple doesn't fall yeah, <laughs> too and, far and from the tree. he was like a high school guidance counselor. Hmm. Right? So mentorship, which so, is definitely part of your life. Right. So, cool. so every now and then I'll, I'll find something like that that I've never read. Hmm. And, um, so anyway, but, um, but no, I feel, I feel like I, I do, I am starting to say just kind of ebb and flow from, um, not getting too identified as a, as a avid reader. Yeah. And, and yep. uh, give, but we're in the midst of winter. We're mm-hmm. in winter. This is reading season. And it is. <laughs> it's it's soup, turned, and, book, blanket, and reading season. Right. Um, <laughs> but as you were talking too, I was also thinking like, you would be a great person to revive our our uh, City Yoga Book Club. Oh, uh, totally. We often do kind of the summer reading. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and that, 
we've done off and on for years. Mm -hmm. And it's just great to come together with, with a group of the people in the community um, and share insights and, you know, different different authors that inspire yeah. and um that would be fun yeah so um well so guys we've been talking we could go on for for i'm un sure we could amount of time. <laughs> but you've touched on music a little mm -hmm. bit and i know you've brought some instruments so mm -hmm. like in, in towards the end we'll we'll have you you know share some of your musical um vibe with our audience sure. But so tell, talk a little bit about how that's evolved mm. with, I mean, you've done music outside of yoga. I have. And, and so what's, where's this all coming from? So this from? also starts in my childhood, not to make it too long of a story, um, but because I grew up in the church uh, with my parents, my father was always uh, involved in the church music and um, not to make it sound like, you know, he was like this old square choir director or something. I mean, quite honestly, we were part of a church that was sort of like 1970s Jesus hippies. Okay. And so my dad was like the cool guy that was like in the cool Christian band, you know, um, and that was all happening around Indianapolis. And then when we moved to Ohio, so he's always been a music minister of some kind, whether it was the cool contemporary kind. And then later in his life, he did start to do some choir and orchestral arrangements for churches, which is cool. Um, so sacred music's always been a part of my life. And, uh, you know, music, I thought it would be cool to, like, be in a band. And I ended up being in a couple different bands uh, in the last five to ten years. Okay. Uh, some that I was writing music for, some that other people were writing music for. I was always a multi-instrumentalist in all these bands. I would always sing harmonies. Um, there were a couple of bands. I, my claim to fame is I played glockenspiel in, like, three different rock bands. Like, <laughs> who can say that, right? <laughs> That's kind of an odd uh, niche, but... Um, so I would be like playing glockenspiel in one hand, keyboard in another, and singing a third part harmony in my voice. And so I'm in three part harmony by myself, let alone whatever the band is doing. Uh, that's a, so, that's cool. you know, this whole idea now where I get to play with like multiple singing bowls and multiple droning instruments and multiple chimes and singing is like, this is what I've always wanted to do. It's like my favorite. Um, so yeah, I think uh, as a yoga teacher a few years ago, uh, when I was a, still a very new teacher, um, I bought a Shruti box. Mm -hmm. And um, I had one of the guys I was in a band with several years back tell me I needed one. I had no idea what it was. Uh. And so later I ended up Googling. And I was like, "That I do need that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I bought one and I brought it with me to, I remember the first time I was teaching and I decided to bring it with me. And I thought, okay, let's just see how this goes. Like, are people going to vibe on this where like I'm singing this Sanskrit chant over them while they're meditating? Should I just shut up and let them have their silence? Like what, what's the right answer here? And I just kind of experimented with it and people loved it. And again, my classes maybe are not for everyone. You know, maybe some people need their silence. Um, but I enjoyed it very much and it seemed like people, um, we're really getting something out of it. I had some people say, you know, I always hated Shavasana because I couldn't quiet my mind. And so it was just frustrating the whole time I'm laying there. Mm. And now people say like, I, I feel like because I have something to focus on, but I also don't understand the words. I don't know what it means. Mm -hmm. And it's, so it's not distracting. There's no story that goes along with it, but I have my mind something to focus on so I can just finally rest and be quiet and I thought yay it's working <laughs> um, so that was kind of the idea and I always try to explain what the mantras mean when people ask uh, I try not to use any mantra in class that I don't fully understand myself or at least mm -hmm. don't have an idea of what it means or what the words mean um, 
because I just, I don't know, I feel like, first of all, it's a little disingenuous. Right. <laughs> and also um, because I want to be intentional about what it is I'm singing over people um, because they're going to re- be receiving that energy, even if it's just at a subliminal level. So mm. I want to make sure I know what I'm singing about before I throw, start okay. throwing it out. Teach what you know. Exactly. <laughs> teach, teach what you know. And also there's a lot of conversations around um, cultural appropriation. Uh-huh. And, you know, I don't want to be, I mean, it's, it's kind of to my disadvantage that I am a skinny blonde haired white chick you know yeah. it's like dang it man because that's like you know that's who's getting you're, a lot of flack for adopting other cultures <laughs> right right but at the same time i feel like anybody who's been to my classes knows that i'm welcoming of all body types i'm welcoming of all genders like i'm, oh, I'm yeah. and i also am not um wearing a bindi but don't know what it means and all you know all this kind of stuff i'm not wearing a sari to class like i i'm i'm speaking only sanskrit words that i've researched and understood i'm only using mantras that i've had some personal experience with and practiced on my own and tried to let them sink into my bones before i began to share them with other people um so you know I've always done the research and there's a ton that I don't know. And I'm not Indian, not in this lifetime anyway, maybe another lifetime. Um, But yeah, I do feel an affinity toward uh, that culture in a lot of ways, but I've also never been there, you Mm -hmm. know, so I'm not, um, I don't want to claim anything that isn't mine to claim, Um, but I do want to present the wisdom of something in that honoring way. Like we were talking about gurus, you know, Mm -hmm. honoring these lineages, um, but without being a slave to them. Right. Um, and honoring Indian culture without trying to claim it as my own mm-hmm. kind of thing. I try to take a respectful attitude to um, what I'm learning. Yeah. So, Yeah, I feel like a trip to India is in my future. And part of that is to honor the culture yeah. that gifted the world yoga. Yes, certainly. And, um, I, you know, monumental yoga, I was looking at my calendar, you know, just yesterday, I think, and I was counting like, oh, it's like just a little over 100 days away. Oh, to my the gosh. summer solstice. I mean, we're, <laughs> we're not at the spring equinox right. yet. Right, close. We're but, getting there. But yeah, so, you know, uh, June 21st mm-hmm. that is the International Day of Yoga, yeah. which I always am struck by the fact that there was the wherewithal in the U- United Nations to put a proclamation out there and have the countries vote on it and pass it's like enough world leaders or people representing their country mm-hmm. said yes to this ancient practice, yeah. you know, to make it an international a day. A thing. Yeah. Right. That's so cool. And, that and is cool. And it's a big validation for India, right? Mm-hmm. For like, this is your gift to the world. Yeah. Thank yeah. You, thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> acknowledgement. Acknowledgement. Yes. And so that's, yes. I kind of take that teaching to heart, you know, when, whenever I'm teaching yoga, it's like, you know, or when I come across a, an ohm sign mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. a tapestry or something clearly very um, Indian mm-hmm. or has some connection with a Hindu philosophy yeah. or yep. religion or something. So just not um, grasping at things without seeking to understand mm-hmm. and then. And I, and I think that's my way of honoring. Yeah, definitely. You know what what we're out there trying to teach and mm-hmm. and recognizing that yoga is very fluid and you've been practicing it for 25 years. Yeah, it's, and, it's different now. And the you, videos well, are different, the classes are different, the studios are different. Well, we went, you know, in the 90s no studios right. to a couple in the early 2000s mm-hmm. to 2020 where there's there's literally if we're talking like 
a yoga studio, meaning a place that's maybe basically a majority of everything there is yoga. Mm -hmm. There's a couple dozen. Mm -hmm. There's hundreds of places that you can find yoga. Yeah, YMCA's, and, bar, Pilates, like again, all this stuff. They offer yoga classes. You right, know? right. It's so, interesting. So, and now, and there's so much online and mm -hmm. live streaming. So I always think about, well, so then that's another 20 years from now. What's, yeah. what's yoga going to look like in America? So, yeah. And our experience of yoga in the Midwest is very different than the evolution of yoga on the East and West Coast. Certainly. Yes, definitely. Because that's, um, yeah, I was traveling quite a bit um, early in my yoga mm -hmm. journey. And that's where, and even before that, and I was, you know, avid meditator mm -hmm. and immersed in like 12 step recovery. And, yep. Which tends to draw people looking for alternative modes of of seeking spiritual growth, mm -hmm. right? So, yep. so anyway, that um, so it's interesting, and and that's one thing. Like I'm committed to keeping city yoga true to its roots, and mm -hmm. that like we we want to cast a pretty wide net with different styles, honoring different styles of yoga, mm -hmm. keeping it just to yoga. I mean, mm -hmm. we can do a book club, but you know, but it's still it's, even it's, then it's it's still related, you know. Yeah. Like I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying. Like I, it's been an interesting thing because I was a student at City Yoga in the very early days, yeah. uh, in the early 2000s, and then you know. So I opened that Starbucks store in 2001, and I think what it was 2002 that Yoga uh, City Yoga yeah. opened next door. Yep. So I've been a student there since the very first, yeah. you know, first thing, and then. Um, you know, over at Indiana Avenue and, you know, some of these other locations that you've had and then being here in this building for a long time. So beginning as like a novice student and then, you know, coming as a regular practitioner of yoga and then taking my teacher training here and now being a teacher here. I mean, what an interesting journey just within city yoga. Yeah. Um, how interesting that was to me um, to be a part of that in so many different ways. Like city yoga is just like kind of a part of my life. <laughs> it has been for decades. It's, it's kind of interesting. It's a Almost it's 20 a years. Yeah. Yeah. There's some kind of a karmic loop there that I'm, I'm in, which is great. It's been yeah. pleasant. I'm really grateful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's been like a full circle journey, I think for me as um, to become a teacher here and, and to work alongside teachers, um, you know, as peers that I have taken classes from mm -hmm. for years. And um, I do appreciate that about this studio too, is that it's not a power flow yoga studio. It is not a lineage based yoga studio. There's so much available here and we have a huge variety of teachers that are offering all different kinds of classes. Yeah. Um, you know, you were joking, I think, the other day about how, you know, like, you know, JP was doing the meditation course in one room and then Jocelyn's teaching like power flow in the next room. And like just the dichotomy of, you know, those two classes existing at the same time in the same space is such a cool um, <laughs> picture of city yoga. You know, it's like such a thing. Um, you know, male teachers, female teachers, you know, just everybody. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the people that are trying to hit it hard and sweat. And then the other people that are just trying to get their relax on. I mean, Adrian's Sunday night stress relief class has been like a favorite of mine for a really long time. Yeah. So it's just, it's just interesting to be a part of a studio that is um, so welcoming, so vast in its offerings and um, so varied in its teachers too. I think that's a, we don't have like a stereotype here, yeah, you know, yeah. it's pretty broad. It is broad. And I think, you know, hats off to Nikki 
she was, I think, ahead of her time for this area mm -hmm. and really in yoga in general, how um, uh, if you look at um, studios and maybe open 10 or 15 years ago mm -hmm. and in all parts of the country where they, they had they were, they were just about this one thing. Yeah. They've all broadened. Uh -huh. I mean, well, you have all, to. But, but most of them are like, yeah. well, we don't do, just do that anymore. You know, we got some yen. We mm -hmm. got some meditation. Mm -hmm. we got, you know, like maybe their core is 80% of what they do is this. But yeah. now there's 20% of something else. And, yeah. And I think that really kind of is, is the way yoga is evolving if you yeah. will and um the whole body type thing i mm -hmm. think about kino mcgregor she's been on the show before mm -hmm. and she's writing an, a new another book and she's like like featuring all different body types and it's, it's not Wonderful. gonna be it's not gonna be her body so needed it's gonna be so needed how to use modifications mm -hmm. how to props or mm -hmm. you know being able to um give a visual representation of the accessibility yeah. of yoga, the physical aspects of mm -hmm. yoga. And and she's another one. You you would love to sit and, and chat with her about Oh, I'm yoga sure we would have so much fun talking. And philosophy. <laughs> yeah. like she's really very deep in, and and a long time meditation practitioner mm -hmm. where I mean she's done the ten day. And she's just such a light too. I mean she's uh, like a smiley personality you know she just has a um an effervescent joy about her too yeah you know, she just yeah. kind of presents as this you know light being <laughs> she is and that's why we love having her keep coming back she's yeah. i think scheduled for sometime in the fall cool. again so but yeah it's a very just like a genuine like authentic yoga teacher yeah so, yeah um so let's talk a little bit now about what you're going to do with some music here okay. in the studio well we're in a small space as we're recording this um so i just brought a kind of a small selection i've been doing um music in my for my shavasana since you know a few years ago when i brought that shruti box for the first time um but i also am starting to offer as part of my teaching um offerings like sound full-on sound baths where it's really like an hour of sitting and just absorbing tons of instruments. And I bring a bunch of things in for that. So I have a small selection here. I have uh, four singing bowls. I've got a Shruti box, which is a droning bellows-based instrument, kind of related to the sound of a harmonium. And then I also have what's called a happy drum, which is like a tongue drum um, that makes... Um, some different tones. So I'll be, a lot of what I do is very intuitive and improvisational. Um, so I don't always have ahead of time, like exactly what note I'm going to play when or whatever. It just kind of, I try to allow it to flow through me. And um, I also use my, my human voice as one of my most portable instruments. And so <laughs> I, I try to bring that into most of what I offer as well. So um, some brass uh, singing bowls, some uh, Shruti drones and my happy drum for effect, I guess. Awesome. Well, let's uh, move the mic over closer there and we'll give our audience a little treat. Perfect. All right. So we're all settled in here and we're going to you know, let Jamie take us out with the sounds of her creativity and music and vibration. And uh, it's been such a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much, Dave. I hope we get to do this more often. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Oh, definitely. You're going to have to come back on. Yeah, this sure. is fun. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, wherever you are in the world, I invite you to become comfortable and to just notice your breath. And as you notice each breath flow in and out, 
Allow each sound that you hear to arise, flow through you, and pass on.
Wow. How incredible was that? What a beautiful experience just to hear the, the subtleties and the sweetness of the sounds. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that experience with our audience. And, and thank you for the, those are inaugural live music in the podcast moment. First time we've done that here in the studio. So that was that was very awesome, and definitely we'll be doing that again. Um, if you want to hear more of what Jamie has to offer, she does regular sound baths, and she's just starting them here at City Yoga coming up next week, or this week we're in right now, so March 7th is the date. That's a Saturday at 6 p.m., so it's an hour and a half. It's $25. It's what a deal just to come in for 90 minutes of of this restorative sound meditation. And she'll talk you through it. She'll give some explanation and let you know what what's coming at you from the sacred sounds of the singing bowls and tuning forks and chimes and shruti box and her voice. So it's a wonderful experience. It's something you can just come as you are, dress comfortable. You can bring your own pillow or eye pillow or eye mask or, you know, whatever it is to make you comfortable come on in and check it out um coming up on saturday the 7th of march and then there'll be a regular a regular rotation of these coming through so that's exciting and i do hope you enjoyed the podcast we're always grateful for every time you listen please feel free to subscribe share it with your friends and you know write in let us know it what you'd like to hear on the show, people you'd like to hear from. We're always looking for those suggestions and we do listen to your feedback. So send it in and enjoy this day. Enjoy this beautiful day. Enjoy your yoga journey. And thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for listening to The Yoga Voice, brought to you by City Yoga School of Yoga and Health, where we are committed to exploring how yoga inspires and transforms. Find out more at www.cityyoga.biz. That's C-I-T-Y-O-G-A dot biz. Special thanks to our producer, Brian Sims, for his audio expertise. <laughs>